This is Ronnie Ann Ryan, intuitive coach, and welcome to the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast. In this show, we'll talk about mystical methods, spiritual practices, and magic to grow spiritually, live well, and maybe find love. Open your heart, expand your mind, connect with spirit, and embrace the magic that is all around you. To learn more about intuitive coaching with me or a past life reading, please visit breatheloveandmagic.com. If you enjoy the show, please rate it or write a review and subscribe and share it with a friend. May good fortune come to all those who listen to the Breathe, Love and Magic podcast. And now on with the show. In this episode of the Breathe, Love and Magic podcast, I'm speaking to Stacey Webb. Stacey now works as an intuitive trauma release mentor using her certifications and skills as an EFT practitioner, rebirthing breathwork practitioner, intuitive intelligence trainer, and embodied processing practitioner. And through these skills, she helps people with their trauma through a somatic bottom-up approach. Stacey is so passionate on the guiding and supporting of people on their healing journey by helping them build safety within their nervous system, allowing them to release fear and trauma from within to live an embodied life. Prior to being an intuitive trauma release mentor, Stacy was a police officer and detective with a police force for 15 years in Australia. Stacy's book, The Intuitive Detective, which I have to go read that, details how listening to her intuition and following intuitive guidance not only helped her on the life purpose, but also helped her with her own healing journey and nervous system empowerment. Here she is. Welcome, Stacy. Oh, thank you, Ronnie. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So what an unusual twist of careers. Yeah. <laughs> I always love a good story like that. I read this book by an American author, Robert L. Snow, Portrait of a Past Life Skeptic, the true story of a police detective's reincarnation. Completely fascinated by that. So I'm sure that it's different than your story, obviously, but those kind of real life things where people investigate or move to doing the psychic and intuitive, it's always a great transition and fascinating stories. So how did this come about? It very much came out in what felt like a long journey, but was an amazing journey within itself. So my work when I was a detective was I specialized in sexual assault investigations and coronial matters. And so I was constantly surrounded by people who were in different states of trauma. And for a lot of that, I needed to take statements from them which at times you know it can be very very traumatizing for them and I wanted to see what I could do to make the process not easier but in a way to be able to support them as I'm having to get information that is going to be possibly re-traumatizing them that I need for my investigation in the, the best possible way that was going to help them as well. That ended up leading me to learning more about the nervous system and helping with different trauma release methods that I could use whilst I was with them taking a statement that may be able to support them. It was beautiful and it was wonderful in, in being able to basically create and hold space. And that's what we're doing, you know, when we're taking statements from people and allowing them to be seen and heard in what they're wanting to say in that information, whilst also allowing me to get the information that I need for my investigation. And as that was happening and I was supporting them, you know, it all becomes your medicine at the same time. Your service becomes your medicine. And I realized how much I needed that for myself. 
and how much I needed that to be able to help myself to help them. And then that made me realize in terms of my colleagues around me, my police officer friends and other people from emergency services on how much they needed it as well to be able to be best to support them. It ended up just kind of a bit growing from there where I just sort of followed the guidance and and just went, okay, this is my path. And knowing that my past on being a police officer and being a detective was also allowing me to help people at different states of trauma that come through for me and also to be able to help emergency services, first responders as well, because we can be, you know, that unique kind of working in such a high stressful environment where we are also conditioned at times to not take care of ourselves and put ourselves last like like everywhere else as well and in terms of the you know the hierarchical system and everything like that that comes along with it and we can also be a little bit institutionalized and allowing that to sort of come out and to break the stigma away from mental health in first responders as well do you think <laughs> you know i'm just making a guess here People who go into emergency services, did they have their own traumas? Like what percentage, and you might not know, would you say of people who go into this kind of line of work, police, emergency, have been traumatized themselves prior? I do think there is some truth to that. I mean, all of us are going to be traumatized to to one extent or another. Our nervous system is overwhelmed and hasn't been able to allow that energy to flow. That's where trauma becomes stuck in our body. A lot of people who want to be emergency service workers is because we want to be the helper. We want to be the rescuer. We want to be the carer. And so that usually does come up from different points within our life where we either want to mirror something that has happened in our lives or we want to feel like we can help where something didn't happen like that in the past. Mm-hmm. And so for people in your career and your line of work, they're also experiencing the trauma of everybody's trauma that they help, right? Yes. And that that can get absorbed too, especially because of any empathic abilities or whatever, they could be absorbing a lot of trauma and stuff. So like, what was the first skill set you learned? Like, what was the first certification you got that got you started on the path? After just, I guess, learning, you know, the very basics about our nervous system and everything like that, my first big certification was EFT, which is Emotional Freedom Techniques, otherwise known as tapping. And I found that extremely beneficial. You know, it's just amazing to be able to use your fingertips to tap on our meridian points, which, you know, can predominantly just be our face, upper body and our fingers. And that you can do that so subtly without even anyone realizing you're doing it so for me I was able to do it on myself while I'm sitting at my desk or while I'm in the car or or anything like that but also when it came to helping and supporting my victims and my witnesses a big thing for them is the stress and anxiety that comes up on having to give evidence and all you know having all of that come up and being able to go look whilst you're even sitting in the witness box there are tapping that you can do with your fingertips without even being seen that you're doing it oh so like karate chop point or something where nobody can see where you're doing but you're tapping the edge of your hand and that kind of thing yeah yeah, so uh, the karate chop point, uh, the, what I use, I call that the side of hand. You can use that, but um, I guess sometimes you could, it is uh, probably a little bit, sometimes it can be noticeable when you're sitting down, but there's different ones where you can just tap on the side of your fingertips, which is ah. on the side of your fingernail. And that is 
that's also some meridian points for tapping as well. For a lot of people, you're going to be moving your hands around or anything like that to even start with. Like as I'm talking to you now, I'm rubbing my hands together. And for some people, they might pick apart their fingernails and everything like that, being nervous. And instead, you can just lightly tap on the side of your fingertip. And that would actually give more of a beneficial point. And so sitting with my you know, victims and witnesses before they gave evidence, and we might do some breathing and we did a little bit of tapping, obviously with their consent in, in being happy to go into it. Yes. But as I said, with, with the type of work that I'm doing, I'm spending years with them before sometimes we go to trial. So, you know, we get to know each other over those, you know, months of us having conversations and connecting throughout that time that I can pretty much figure out what type of way I can go about to introduce that to them. And they also get to know me and my personality throughout the, that whole time. So it, it's then not unusual for me to discuss those type of things before they go in and give evidence. It's a lot about helping, again, when it's calming them down, it's been able to calm their nervous system into somewhat of a resourced, regulated state to be able to go into that courtroom and give evidence where there are going to be nervous and feeling different states of anxiety. And for some of them could be going extremely back into traumatic state. So you have a private practice today. I do, yes. I work as an intuitive trauma release mentor and I do that online. Now that we're coming out of um, a lot of restrictions that we've had here in Australia, I'm wanting to start back up some of my one-on-one where I also do group work and circle work and hoping to get that more in person, but I also do a lot of that online as well. Okay. Given that you learned this method and combined a bunch of methods to help people intuitively release trauma. What's that done to your intuition and other parts of your life? Well, it's definitely strengthened my intuition and increased its frequency. For me, actually allowed me to listen and follow it more. And at the very beginning, you know, for sometimes, yes, we want to listen and follow it because, you know, we, we think we know that it's going to lead to something great. But sometimes we might receive the information that we're a bit hesitant on, we're resistant on, and we may not know the end result or the full answer. And so we wanting to have that control. So now I'm a little bit more, uh, less resistant to all of that and allowing myself to just know that our intuition is always guiding us. It's not going to steer us wrong. And if I'm following that in an act of love, and not out of fear, then I know it's my intuition. How has your intuition increased usage and effectiveness worked in other areas of your life? Like maybe with your children or or family members or just for your own progress? Well, first off, for me within myself, it has helped me immensely to be able to release people pleasing I used to be a very big people pleaser growing up being able to release that I'm perfectionist or relax think I'm a recovering perfectionist and being able to to allow the releasing of that this fear of failure this fear of rejection and this fear of abandonment and fear of being unlovable those are my big core wounds that's come up through different traumas throughout my life which has for me allowed me to at that time be conditioned to being the people pleaser and and being a perfectionist and so to be able to start to release that throughout myself has been such a big game changer because for me it's actually I believe made me become a better mother to my children nice so I've got four children 
I'm the eldest myself and I can see my eldest at some point starting to show the characteristics of this perfectionist that was coming up and to realise how I can help release that just by our everyday living. And for me, it was a lot of unlearning and relearning because yeah. of how I grew up in my life. I had to make sure my handwriting was extremely perfect. If it wasn't perfect, I had to redo it. If I didn't do my homework, it was I was in very big trouble. If I didn't get good grades, I'd have to explain why that wasn't happening. I also didn't want that for my children as well. You know, I wanted to be able to help learn and educate them. But, you know, if they got their handwriting was a bit messy, I didn't want them to redo it again and things like that. That was a very big opening for me but also my children are also my teachers my oh yeah yeah two out of my um, four children one being my eldest she has a receptive and expressive delay so that really allowed me to help more on release in this perfectionism because I didn't want her thinking that she needed to overachieve on everything because at some point she's going to have difficulty understanding a way that information that was coming and not be able to decode it properly with these delays that she has, knowing that this can actually be expansive within herself. And she's thriving with that as where as I have had to unlearn and relearn things. So for that in itself has been absolutely transformative. Even in my marriage, I personally feel that it has really allowed me to have more awareness within and been able to see at times when I know I'm reacting out of a trauma response that doesn't need to have that and have that awareness to go, okay, let's look in more and and have curiosity as to why I'm feeling this way. And just even doing that means that less argument, more communication (laughs) when it comes to those things. An example that I have that has come up is my husband at one point likes to lay down on his bed and he'll listen to music on his phone. And when he started that, and we've, I've been my, we've been my husband for about 20 years. So, and this was at a time during that he was really stressed at work. And I've spoken to my husband about this in the past. So I know I can share this story with his consent. So with that, he was going through a stressful time and he was doing that as a way to help him with the stresses that was happening. But as that was happening, obviously he was in the bedroom and not always out with whatever was happening in our, in our world. And I started to be becoming really fearful that I had done something wrong. And that had spared through from when I was younger, seeing my dad sit away from my mum when he was feeling stressed and overwhelmed. Not long after that, my dad passed away when I was at the age of 12. So I was feeling all these abandonment issues and fearful issues not because of what my husband was doing but because of what that internally for me represented and so instead of me initially I guess the the old me I would say would really go up and sort of why are you doing this why do you why are you always in the bedroom why can't you come out is it something I've done and deflect and reflect and and all those type of words to to think that it was something um, that I have done when I really just sat down with it and just went, okay, what's that representing? What is underneath that? Why am I feeling these emotions? And to first off, allow me to feel those emotions that gave that awareness as to what these deeper layers were coming up. And that's what that awareness has come through. And then I spoke to him about it. And I was like, look, I don't want you to not stop 
what you're doing but just to let you know that this is what I've realized is what's coming up and we're able to talk about that my spoken about my dad's death with my husband in very much in depth over the years and so he also knows how much that can be triggering to me and how much that activates within myself so we're able to have that discussion so now when if you know he doesn't do it as much now because he's not as stressed now with different things that have changed and and in our lives but he'll also know that if he is doing that He'll just go, oh, look, just let you know, I'm just going to go and listen to some music. And we've had that beautiful communication that kind of releases that. So for me, it wasn't like me dismissing what I was feeling, allowing me to feel those feelings, allowing me to go through those layers and allow that to release. So now I can see him listening to music on the bed and I'm not internalizing that or thinking it's a direct result of what happened to me when I was younger. Well, that is a great story for so many reasons, because first of all, it shows that you are capable of separating yourself from the internal voice in your head so that you can do that assessment or analysis, which means then that you're doing self-care because, you know, you're taking care of yourself and say, all right, what do I need to feel? What does this mean? Which also means there's self-love there. Because you're giving yourself permission to go slow, figure it out, take time, being nice to yourself, rather than the perfectionist of, I shouldn't feel this and pushing it all away. You actually work through it all. So that's inspiring for anybody in any relationship, because it's better than that reactive that we all do. I mean, we, you know, we're all reactive. It took me a while in the beginning of my relationship with my husband to catch on to when I was picking up any feelings of depression or like, I didn't realize how much I was picking up whatever he was going through. At first I kept thinking, what's wrong with me? You know, blah, 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 blah. And eventually I was like, oh, (laughs) I'm picking this up from him, which I hadn't been in a long-term relationship for a long time before my husband. So It was like relearning all that. Plus when I was younger, I didn't know about this. I think that's pretty amazing, very intuitive and amazingly productive. Your process is highly effective because it gives you the time to really figure out, well, what's happening? What do I need to do? What's the root cause? Thank you. Yeah. I guess for a lot of that is when we're feeling certain type of emotions, sometimes we label them as as good as good and bad and if we think something is bad we must dismiss it avoid it push it away and what that's doing is just filling up that cup and the cup's going to eventually overfill we're not being able to take care of ourselves in that way and knowing Mm. that there are no good or bad feelings it's just it's okay to be able to be seen heard and knowing that we're valued when we feel these feelings because that's ultimately what's going to help these feelings to flow through because it's all energy. If we're pushing it away and blocking it, it's going to build up. Stagnant mark, it's just going to stay there and become even more stickier and murkier than allowing it to start to shift and flow and filter through. So, Talking about icky emotions then, how do you use fear as your ally? That's one of your questions. Like, how do you use that? Basically, it first off is being able to meet that with curiosity and love. You know, again, we always some type have resistance to it, which is understandable because in terms of being scared by whatever may be coming forward, especially when we're dealing with trauma, but allowing ourselves to feel in a somewhat of a resource state. So with our nervous system, even if we are feeling some type of heightened emotions, if we feel within ourselves a type of safety, 
we can create that safety within ourselves, which we all can. And sometimes we just need a little bit of guidance and help to, to be able to do that to start with. But we can all create that safety within ourselves. And when we can create that safety and feel supported within ourselves, we can bring in that curiosity and love when we're meeting that fear. And because ultimately what that fear is, is it could be just something underneath it. You know, I came feeling sadness. What's underneath that for whatever it is that that fear of that sadness is, is anger. And after that could be resentment and then realizing that it's maybe not establishing a boundary that happened in the past. And that's why we're feeling resentful, angry and sad. And if we're able to filter through that, work on that, be able to give ourselves some love on that and allow those emotions to start to flow. We can allow ourselves to, again, not feeling like we're carrying the weight of our world on our shoulders. And when that comes to trauma and, and fear, it's, it's also not saying whatever happened, we're not removing what happened, especially trauma. It's, it's happened in our life. You can't change it. But we can also know that it doesn't need to be the driver in the seat of our life. Yeah, be able to to know that it is there a part of our life and it is a part of us, but we can live our life without that being the driver's seat of it, without that being the fear driven of our life. And knowing when we're activated, knowing when we're triggered by those things, again, knowing us to give ourselves love and curiosity as what's surrounding that. So then we can actually go a little bit deeper within ourselves and release it. What I hear that could be so useful there is you're not constantly reliving it. You're working through it because so many people just continue to react. Yep. No offense to them. I mean, they, you know, whoever has trauma has been through a lot. I love that you could separate from that trauma and not let that be the driver of your life or let that be something that you're constantly triggered by. That's right. And, and when we're working with trauma, we, we don't need them to tell us the story. What we're, when we're working with trauma, we're working with how that feels in your body. Because trauma is stuck in our body and in our bo- it's our body that feels that trauma and our body reacts and responds to that trauma first before our mind ever does it. And so that's why things can happen and we can, our body will respond in that way thinking it's in that trauma state because it, it doesn't acknowledge time. <laughs> and it, so it therefore thinks that something's going to happen like it did in the past. And so our body reacts to that and our mind just attaches the story to it and creates a story and attaches to it. And what we can do with that is if we work on how the body feels, where does that feel in the body? How does that look like in the body? You know, for some it could be like, it's just all knots, all these big knots, all tied up. And as we're working with that and being able to release, we're able to release those knots as a matter of fact, depending on obviously what that, um, for that thing is being able to release it. And knowing that it actually can be released and it has these little knots, but it actually is out into a big banner or something, you know, it's all different for everyone else, but allowing that to sort of whatever to be released. And when we're able to do that within the body, that's where, okay, if there's a trigger that comes up, what comes up from that trigger? What's, how does that feel in the body with that? And being able to maybe sometimes the triggers aren't triggers anymore, or if there is a trigger coming up, how you be able to support your nervous system, support your body, creating that safety because we're aware of that now and being able to support our body through that, which means that the trauma response within the body and how it feels within the body isn't as dramatic or isn't as big as what it could have been. But how good are people at understanding the emotions that are stuck in their body? Like if you ask me about 
the emotions in my body, I'd be like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. In terms of working together, it could be like, okay, let's do, you know, we might do a scan and what may be coming up. There's something specific that we're working on or just that. It could be like, I feel nothing. And that's okay to feel nothing. And we work with that. For some people, it's actually working on creating their safety first before they could even do anything more within their body. For some people, they've been on survival mode their whole life, autopilot, everything like that. It, it, it even just first creating that safety is the foundation before you can do anything else. And once you're able to create that foundation safety, you then, because you're letting that guard down a little bit more, you're then also allowing yourself to connect to your body more. And when you connect to your body, you might be able to go, oh, yeah, you know, I feel something in my shoulder. I, I don't know what it means, but I feel that. Let's explore that a little bit more. And then that's where we can help guide and go through with different ways on what it may look like or feel like or see, you know what I mean? Anything that comes through because everyone receives information differently. And some people yes, don't know how yes. they receive that information, but that's how we sort of go through with a bit of exploring. And it's different for everyone, which makes it exciting. Yeah, I'm sure. And probably very rewarding too, because when you see those shifts in them, hallelujah, right? Yeah, very definitely. And, and a lot of the work also happens in the session, but also happens after the session, because after the session, you continue with your life, like you're, you're back into the real world, so to speak. And that's where the big work happens. It's where integration happens. And that's the beautiful delightness of what the healing journey is and how we can have so much growth in that. What do you think the key to strengthening your intuition is? Well, the, definitely the first key is to, number one, be aware of how you receive your intuition. There are many ways that we can yes. receive it and we'll have a dominant way to be aware of that so you're more likely to listen out for it. <laughs> and once you listen for it, is follow it <laughs> in that and yeah. you'll strengthen it because that's where you can hopefully be able to translate it more. It might become more clearer and strengthening with that. You know, if some people see symbols, they might not know what those symbols mean to start with, but as they keep learning to follow, and obviously it's all a bit of a, a journey in itself, then sometimes for that translation of what those symbols will be a lot more clearer as they continue following it. Yeah. We have to think of it like a muscle. We can't Perfect. just go into a gym and deadlift 100 kilos if you've never done it before. <laughs> you know, you'd go into the gym and you would start at a weight that you are comfortable at, that you're not going to hurt yourself and you gradually increase it. And that's exactly the same thing as what we do with intuition. We have to think of it that way. Mm. So you've got clear audience for hearing, clear buoyance for steam, Clear sentience for feeling, clear cognizance for knowing. That's it. So you, thank yeah, you. So you have, and everyone kind of assumes that intuition must be clairvoyance, and they only just, oh well, I can't right. see anything. Especially if you do a, a meditation, oh, I can't see anything, so I'm not, I'm not intuitive. But there are actually other ways, and for some people, it is that feeling within the body that you know, yeah, or that knowing within your body, and those are the two that are generally what a lot of us receive our intuition. And they are also the mostly dismissed ones because we don't ah. think it means anything. <laughs> and, and everyone has those moments where they have that gut instinct. They just have that feeling within themselves that that conversation or that person was a bit off or, you know, that feeling, that knowing within their body that they just had to do something on that specific day. But that actually happens all the time. <laughs> and we yeah. receive that all the time. And some of those people, we just, we, we can become selective 
when we really just need to listen to it all the time. Oh, you know, I love hearing that because you're right. I definitely rely more on hearing voices tell me things. Not that I'm like crazy and I hear voices. You know, when I'm using my intuition, I hear my guides or I hear my higher self, whatever. Or see, like to me, I always go, oh, nothing like a good vision. Like to me, <laughs> when, I, when I get a visual picture of something, I'm always the most excited. I'm a very visual person anyway, but I don't always get that. That's how my intuition started was visually. But over time, it moved to more hearing. And then you're right. You do have that sense of knowing where you're like, no, I can't do this. It just feels wrong. So that's so interesting that you're saying that those two are a lot more common, which I did not realize, but that makes sense. And I think that's really helpful for people listening and wanting to develop their intuition to understand everybody doesn't see and hear. And if you actually pay attention to what you what you sense and know, and you pay attention to what you can feel in your body, those other levels of intuition will probably start to come in. They will. They'll come in because they're like, oh, you're listening to me now. And the problem that we have at times is that we might be only shown the small step of the whole process. Our ego comes in. I don't understand where that's going. Not that I'm not doing that. That's not right unless I get more of a definite sign. Yeah. <laughs> Our ego wants to know the story. <laughs> so that is really one of the most helpful things I've ever heard anyone tell me about intuition in all the years that I've been even working with my own intuition. Stacey, any last words of wisdom that you want to share with the listeners? Or do you have a free gift? I do have free journal prompts and stuff on my website. So I also host free circles that people can join in as. And that's on my website, www.stacyweb.com.au for Australia. I cannot thank you enough, Stacey. This was so eye-opening. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's wonderful that there are professionals in this world who are working with people through something like the police. It's just so heartwarming to know that this kind of thing is being addressed. And thank you again. This was fabulous. Thank you for listening today. If you're curious about intuitive coaching or a past life reading, please visit breatheloveandmagic.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate it or write a review and subscribe to never miss an episode and share the magic with a friend. This is Ronnie and Ryan wishing you love and magic.